0: So we're still in Chapter Eight, um, Section Five, but I wanted to um, before we read um, Section Five, I'll put on there a little bit of review, and we won't spend as much time as we did last week in review. Just because I, I don't want to run off and leave you and assume you caught everything, but th- these things are important. I mean, this whole section we said is about Jesus being mediator. So I put that definition there for you again. He is our go-between. He's the one that joined these parties that were at variance. The Bible says that we were at one time enemies of God, um, and as far as we're concerned in our minds, that's where we were. And um, but He reconciled us, um, and He brought us to Himself through this mediation, this mediator, Jesus Christ, because He is our also our guarantor, our surety, which we talked about that term, meaning. Uh, uh, something that protects against damage or loss, but I think most specifically in regards to Jesus, um, one who acts in the place of another. So Christ is our mediator. He's not only went between us and God, but he has acted in our place. He took our place. He became, the Bible says, he became sin for us. We're going to talk about that some more tonight, why that's important. And he did all this through both his active and his passive obedience. That is, he came to earth, he willingly obeyed the Father in the plan of, if you all remember this term, the plan of the covenant of redemption, the one that was set in place before eternity, before Genesis, the one that we can't see, we just know about. Especially Ephesians 1 is one of those great places that points out that God was doing something before time began. And somehow God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit um, have this plan of redemption. And if you think about it, we, we come into Genesis in creation, and there's man in the garden, and then man blows it and sins. But right after he sins, God makes this promise. That is the first gospel promise that um, he's going to fix the problem. And the whole rest of the Bible is really God fixing that problem how he's going to get to Jesus, and then Jesus is the answer. And then we look back and realize, oh, that's what all that stuff was for, to get us to Christ. And then all the way to the end of the book, it shows us how um, God is just continuously fulfilling his plan. And one day Christ will come back and new heaven and new earth will be where we will dwell with him. And um, that's why I said the, the whole Bible is about Jesus. And so, but... He's fulfilling that plan that, that was made within the Godhead. That's what we call, we refer to the Father, Son, Holy Spirit as the Godhead, the three in one. They have this plan of redemption that they're going to redeem, redeem people and a people for, them, for himself. That's what uh, Jesus, we're told about Jesus. He redeemed the people for himself. And he did so by coming to earth, being born as a human made in the flesh. And then from the time... He was on this earth until he died. He perfectly conformed to the law of God. Never sinned against it. Never crossed over it. Never failed to do what he was supposed to do in it. Now that's hard for us to imagine. Because all of us, we're we're grown enough to admit. We know we can't keep the law. We know we've never kept the law. We know that even if we thought we kept the law, in thinking that we kept the law, we're sinning against the law. So we know that we couldn't keep it. We not only didn't keep it, we broke it. Uh, we not only broke it, but we did keep it. So we, we, uh, as Jesus summed up the law, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We, we've never even done that. Okay, so um, certainly we've never loved the Lord our God with all our strength and soul and might. There's no way. But Jesus did. So again, that's why what is Christianity about is about faith in Christ because he does everything. He has done everything, and he continues to do everything. So how are we saved? By grace, through faith in Jesus, right? And so that's the beautiful story of the gospel. And so Christ did all these things by actively keeping the law and actively not breaking it. But then also his passive obedience, he endured lifelong sufferings that culminated in the death on the cross. And we talked about not only the physical beatings and the whippings and the stripping, Uh, of his clothes and the plucking of his beard and all the blood that was shed, but also the the agony of heart and soul. He endured for taking our sin, all the sin of everybody who would ever be saved. And so that's his passive obedience. Passion of the Christ is his passive obedience, right? And we talked about ascension after he was resurrected from the grave and 40 days later he ascended back to the Father. And we talked about... uh, the session of Christ if you remember that that he's now seated to have a seat he is seated uh not necessarily literally physically sitting down but it's a it's an image of he as a king is seated on his throne Christ is on his throne where the power is his all power has been given to him in his session and in his intercession which you kind of see all these things go hand in hand right because what is Christ doing in interceding He's going between us and God. He is uh, at his ascension and his session. He is interceding for us. He ever lives to make intercession. He is our mediator. So all these things, like I said, I like for you to see these words because sometimes we read these words a lot and talk about these words. All of us um, theological nerdy people that like to talk about theology all the time. Then I get in the pulpit and up here teaching and these words just come out. And then sometimes people are like, because there's nothing worse than going somewhere and people talking about stuff that you don't understand, all right? I mean, if you're at work or anywhere, if you're in a group of friends and everybody's talking about words that you don't know and you, you don't want to feel stupid and say, wait, what does that mean? What does that mean? And so sometimes in church we have a tendency, there's a lot of church speak. And so I just want to keep going over these so we understand um, what we're talking about. So that brings us to this section, five. Um, the Lord Jesus has fully satisfied the justice of God, obtained reconciliation and purchased an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those given to him by the Father. He has accomplished these things by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself, which he once for all offered up to God through the eternal spirit. Now, um, I think I borrowed this uh, title for this section, and I thought I would get on into um, section six, but I think I'm, I think this is going to be enough tonight. By the time we talk through this, um, a good title for this section could be um, I put it there for you: the Godward success of the work of Christ. So, what we're talking about this is another word: atonement. I think we might talk about this some um, christ all these things we were talking about that jesus did for us coming to earth in the flesh living a perfect life sinless life going to the cross taking our place dying for our sins shedding blood um that we might have our sins forgiven we refer to all that as the atonement because he atoned for us he cut co- atonement means to cover he covered us literally um, in spiritually speaking, he, he took our place and covered our sin, not only with his blood, but with his life. And so, um, we've been atoned, our sins have been atoned for, they've been covered. He has, he has brought us to God. And literally, that word means at, it's, it's from the words at one meant. Spell that out, it's atonement. So he made us, um, compatible in a sense that now we've been not given Christ's righteousness, but, Christ's righteousness is put into our account. So God considers uh, us no longer as sinners, but as uh, his children adopted into his family because of Christ, right? And so we talk about all that, the atonement. A lot of times we have a tendency just to speak about it and what it means to us. And we're going to get back to that part by the end of this chapter. But I think it's really, really important. And and back several months ago, um, prior to uh, Jonathan starting preaching through Ephesians, I did a little bitty uh, series on the atonement. And one of the things I wanted to, I tried to focus on was this aspect of it. The Godward success of the work of Christ. In other words, what did the atoning work of Christ, the atonement, all these things we've been talking about, the mediation, the active, passive obedience, what impact did it have on God the Father? Because generally, we just talk about the impact it had on us, right? We are the beneficiaries. I mean, we get grace and salvation, and we didn't deserve it. That's an awesome thing. But what effect did it have on God, the Father? Because it did have an effect. In fact, I think uh, this very first statement here, this first sentence, is very foundational. To the whole person and work of Christ, who he is, why he came. Why did he become man? Um, why did he, we call it, condescend? Why did he come down from the abode of God to be with man, to take on flesh? What was the purpose? Well, I think this sentence right here says uh, sums it up, to fully satisfy the justice of God. I mean, First and foremost, that's why Christ did what he did. In fact, if... if some of you may know this already, but if you're interested ever reading stuff from church history, there's a there's a work. I think it's in Latin, and I don't know how to say Latin words, but it's basically it looks like "cur de homo homos" thing. Anselm wrote this book, um, and that's what it's all about. It's a very famous book in church history. It's all about why did Christ become a I man? Why did he take on flesh? And I think this is the number, if if we're going to put them in order, this has got to be the top of the list to satisfy the justice of God. And the truth is, I like the way our confession states it. He fully satisfied it. For far too long, especially since revivalism, second, third great awakenings, um, the early 1900s in this country, we have convinced people, even up to this day, if you watch a lot of church on TV, you'll see we have convinced people that the whole purpose and sole purpose and foundational purpose for God sending Christ was for us. And and, and again, we are benefactors. We, we do get a reward that we don't deserve. But we've made people believe that you are so special, uh, God sent Christ for you. But the truth is, uh, we are special because god deemed us that way but he sent christ first and foremost because his justice had to be satisfied and saving people is a part of the purpose but his justice had to be satisfied so that he could save sinners see i think that's what we're that's what we miss god wouldn't i don't like to say god can't but how could God save sinners if, his justice, if He was not if His justice was not satisfied? He couldn't have. And that's not to say there's something out there God can't do, but it would be again sinners had to be made right in order for Him to save them. And what we as sinners have offended the most in our sin is the justice of God. Because justice, and we'll talk about this in a minute, demand it's right. Righteousness is what justice is. It's rightness. And we're not right. And so, in order for us to be made right, um, God had to um, satisfy His wrath toward our sin. And in order to do that, sin had to be punished. In order for God to remain just, sin had to be punished. And so it was punished. It's only that our sin was punished in Christ, Right? I know we've talked about this before, but it's been said that's why hell is eternal. Because if you're not in Christ, then your sins are eternally against God. And there's no way that you can't pay it off. The whole idea, the whole concept of a place called purgatory is ridiculous. How many thousands of years, there aren't enough years. You couldn't come up with enough years for you as a human, sinful human, to satisfy the justice of God. Because even as you're working, you're still sinning. right? I think that's something what Romans 4 sort of has in mind. If you think you're working to get to God, your work is just counting more debt. You just keep digging a hole. Because as you think you're getting good, I mean, again, most of us have reached a place of maturity to realize even when I'm doing good things, I'm sinning in my mind at times. Right? I was telling my kids the other day, there are times even when I'm sitting up here teaching, that my mind is some, it's amazing what your brain can do. My brain can be thinking about something it shouldn't be thinking about while I'm teaching. And, I, and, and sometimes that's frightening. Or when we're praying, that's what brought it up. One of, one of the kids said, I'm a horrible prayer. I'm, I'm horrible at prayer. I'll pray for like 30 seconds, and then, you know, 40 minutes later, I realize I'm planning out what I'm going to do for the next two weeks and forgot that I'd started praying 30 minutes ago. And, you know, th- that's kind of that's how sinful we are. <laughs> And so if the, the idea that somehow man could do something good enough for God to say, now there's a good person. I think I'll save that person. There's, it's, if we're honest, we know that that's never going to happen, which makes us more thankful for grace and for God's sovereign grace in saving us. But this idea of justification, um, I don't know if I put this verse in there. I did. Romans Three twenty-one 3, 21 through 26 points this out to us really well. It says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, or revealed to us apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption as in Christ Jesus Jesus, who God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, if you're, that's another word, I don't know if I put it in there, I should have. Propitiation is a great biblical word. It's only in the Bible about three times, I think. But it basically means to satisfy or to appease. And uh, It's there in your Bible, it should be in Romans 3. It's P-R-O-P-I-T, propitiation end of it i-a-t-i-o-n so why did jesus come to propitiate the wrath of god to satisfy the justice of god that means to put off his anger god think about this we would be pulverized by any amount of god's anger or wrath just completely pulverized so god poured all his anger and wrath out upon jesus and jesus therefore propitiated the wrath of god and satisfied his justice because in order for God to remain just, sin has to be punished. Somebody said God can not just, he wouldn't sweep sin under some um, cosmic rug and pretend like it didn't happen. That's not justice. See, we don't, we don't understand justice because even our justice system is not very just. And so we look and we're all the time going, well, that's not justice. That's not justice. Because we don't really get to see it much. But God is just. And his justice will always prevail and be right. And now for those of us who are in Christ. We can rest and have peace in our salvation. Because we know that God's wrath has been propitiated uh, in Christ. And God's justice satisfied. So I didn't get the wrath I deserved. Or the punishment I deserved. um, Or the hell I deserved. Because Christ took all that. And instead, God adopts me into his family. I mean, there's there's almost no way to even fathom the greatness of that thought in our little finite minds. Because I don't think we often enough realize how heinous our sin is against a per- perfect, righteous God that knows nothing but holiness. And, and again, I'm, I'm pointing that out, all of us, you know, so... It's not the preacher up here telling everybody they're a bunch of sinners. I mean, we're all in the same boat. So, um, and I like the way this points out. Once God's uh, justice, once the justice of the Almighty have been satisfied, then reconciliation is obtained. We are reconciled to God and the everlasting inheritance purchased in the kingdom of heaven for all those given to him by the Father. So again, we do benefit, but we benefit because God is merciful and gracious and just anybody want to say anything right there before we keep moving? Yeah. Well, you know, in the um, what's the Greek translation of the Old Testament? The Septuagint. Uh, septuagint. I think, if I'm not mistaken, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the that is the translation of the mercy the propitiation. Yeah. So if you think about it, that's that was the symbol in the Old Testament of where God met with His people and where the the blood forgave, you know, look, get passed over the sins. Mm-hmm. And so that's perfectly right that Christ is the mercy seat. He's the perpetuation. He's the blood of the sacrifice. Yeah. He's the mercy seat. He's the blood. He's- yeah, he's everything. He's the temple. He's all of it. That's the Greek definition. In Charles, it says, an expiatory place or thing, i.e., an, an atoning victim, the lid of the heart, mercy seat. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a pretty cool study. If you ever do that, um, to see how Christ is the mercy seat, I don't think I gave you this. Uh, I, I know I have the word justice down there um, after those verses. Um, I think I, I put earlier justice, justice means righteous. It does, but it also means just reward. So in our, in our context, to be just or to get justice means we get what we deserve. So we're thankful that we didn't get justice. God is just. He gave us mercy. And, you know, I've heard people say that a lot of times in this whole debate in the last several years that we've been a part of um, the justice movement. These people are crying out, I want justice. You really don't. Because justice is getting what you deserve. And none of us want what we deserve. What we want is mercy. And thankfully, we get mercy. And We get grace. And that's way better. Because that's what mercy means. Not getting what you deserve. And grace means getting what you don't deserve. And so we get those things instead of justice. And since God is just, again, why? He saves his people because of Christ. But those who aren't his people, he don't save because he is just. He is just both in condemning those who don't believe and saving those who do. And that's hard for us to understand because in our mind, we want, we we equate justice with fairness. We want God just to be fair. No, we want him to be just. And plus, we tend to make God have attributes and characteristics that we have and that we want. So we kind of sometimes ignore what the Bible says about God and we make up a God that's comfortable for us, well, because how many times have I mean how many times have we heard people say, "Well, I'm not, I don't I'm not going to believe in the God that would send people to hell." Well, I mean that's the only God there is, but guess what? That same God also brings His people to heaven, and so um, because we've made a God that in our minds, well, if I was God, this is how I would do it. I'd be fair. But we don't understand that God is just. And, real, and again, we have never really seen true justice. One day we'll understand it in full. And we'll see God and we'll glorify Him because He's just. Because in His justice, um, Christ paid it all. Because God is just, He looks on us. What, what did that song say again? He looks at Him and pardons me. And that's good stuff um uh, there's a few other places here uh, speaking about Christ coming sin for us taking our place like in being the propitiation this this passage John 17:1 and 2 when Jesus has spoken these words this is in the garden he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said father the hour has come glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who you have given him and i point that out because if you notice, you go in there, and we're going to get into this in a later lesson. Um, he, Christ, fully satisfied the justice of God, obtained reconciliation, purchased an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those given to him by the Father. Now that gets into another subject that we refer to as the extent of the atonement. So who has been atoned for? That's when sometimes people get a little angry when you start talking about this, but we'll try to get to it because I think it's very important. But this is clearly straight from scripture, and that's what I just read to you. This is Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane prior to his just prior to his crucifixion, and he says, Father, glorify your son, that I might glorify you, since you have given me authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given to me. Same thing he says in John chapter six. All who the Father sends to me will come to me, and all who come to me, I will know I was cast out. And then later, after he gives that whole, I was listening to John chapter six today. He gets he goes to that whole. This is my body. If you do not eat my body, drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And people are like, "Well, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Who can who can hear that?" That's that's hard. And Jesus then goes, "That's why I said you can't come to me unless the Father sends you to me, because again, it's hard and weird." Um, unless you're, unless you belong to Christ, and you realize, oh, He's talking about if I don't have, if, if I'm not going to believe in Him and His body and blood that was broken and shed for me, and, it, and not literally, we do physically eat and drink that in the supper, but it's a testament to what He's done spiritually. So if we don't eat of that and drink of it spiritually, then we have no part with Him. But when we belong to Him, because we belong to Him, we'll want to eat and drink. And we'll want to spiritually um, feast on Christ, so to speak. And But now to those who don't know him, sure, they'd say that's a hard thing. That's kind of gross, too. I don't want to think about that. But again, our sin is gross. And so it took bloody sacrifice to cover our sin. Now, that's, that's the picture the Bible paints. You know, that song we sing, uh, I once was lost, but now found blind, now see. We once were filthy and wretched. And, but now the Bible says we're clean and pure. Why? Because we did good stuff? No, because Christ is good. And our hope is in Him. You see that? That's we, we don't preach the gospel that way and we should. Our hope is not in come down here and say a prayer, do this and do that. Um, go live in a good way. The gospel is Jesus has done it all. Put your faith in. It. Believe in. It. And that's why over and over when you read the gospels, that's what Jesus is calling people to. Believe me believe this is the work of the one who sent me believe in the one who be sent that's it and you can't even do that if god doesn't give it to you to believe and so it gives us great courage and it doesn't give us boastfulness it gives us sorrow and sadness and hope for anybody else to hear the gospel and belief because if god opens your eyes to say wait a minute that is weird as this seems to some people I believe that 2,000 years ago that was God in the flesh. He died on the cross. He took my place. Became my sin. He died. was put in the ground. Three days later, he rose again. Ascended into heaven 40 days later. One day, he's coming back. And you say, I don't know why I believe that, but I believe that. You belong to God. Because I guarantee you people in hell for all eternity will not believe that. They'll still hate him. And they still refuse to see that he was anything good. I think. Now, that might be, I might be going a little bit above, beyond what's written right there. But I, I don't know how, it, it doesn't seem to me like anybody, would, if you don't care for Jesus, you never will care for him. You're not going to be in hell for all eternity. Saying, Man, I shouldn't believe. No, you're going to hate him for all eternity. So if you love him and you believe that he's your savior, that's a gift from God. That's mercy and grace. My doubt John John 17. And Hebrews 9 is another one I put in there. Uh, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will that purify our conscience from dead works to serve him? This is when you start getting into what do Christians do? We, we, this is what we should do. Our conscience has been purified and we should be moved on from dead works to serve the living God. Not the stuff that Jonathan taught about Sunday, that list of stuff. Hey, don't live this way because that, It's the way you live when you're in darkness. You're not in darkness. You're unified to Christ. Now live this way. And when you don't find yourself living that way, go back to Christ and look to him. Because, yeah, he's the only one that can really live that way, but we're called to come out of the darkness. And, you know, I don't want to put degrees on that. I just say when you find yourself not doing it, that's why Paul said, some of you used to be in darkness. And in the Corinthians, he names this list of all these sexual sins and horrible sins. And he, and he says, Such were some of you. But now you're washed and cleansed. And God always calls us to works based on uh who Christ is and what he's done. It, somebody said it this way: the imperatives are always following indicatives. If you know anything about. English. I don't know much, but I know this. An indicative is a statement of truth. Statement of reality and fact. You know, Christ did all this stuff. This is all reality and fact, these things we've been talking about. This mediation, this surety, active and passive obedience, death, burial, resurrection. Those are facts. Based on those facts. Now, this is how you live, based on those facts. But like John said, My my dear uh, children, I write to you that you sin not, but when you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. You can almost hear John saying, I write to you that you sin not, but you're going to sin. So when you do, be mindful of this. Christ is your interest. He is your hope. And that's where we all are. I mean, let's be honest. And so we have to be careful um, not to call you to a standard that I've invented, but just to keep calling you back to Christ. He is the standard. And none of us live up to his standard, but again, that's why we have it, because we can't. So, um, I think I stopped reading that. Did I only read verse 14? Yeah. Therefore, verse 15, he is the mediator of a new covenant. so that This is still in Hebrews 9. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. There's that idea again. Who's going to receive it? Those who are called. And think about it. If you go back to Romans 8, what does the Bible say? Everybody he calls... He justifies, and those he justifies, uh, he glorifies. Did I skip one. No, the, yeah, justifies, and then he sanctifies, then he glorifies. So you say, "Well, how do I know I've been called by God?" Again, do you believe this? If you believe this, I'm not a pope. I'm not. I'm not your intercessor. I'm just telling you based on the authority of the Word of God. If you believe this, then that's from God. And that's God, the Father, bringing you to the Son and saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you believe Him? If you believe Him, then rejoice. Be baptized and join a church and get one of these and start reading it. And the Bible and read it. Read the Bible in this. But, anyways. <laughs> um, and again, I think, I think this is a perfect... Follow up. It's about time to be done. It's a perfect follow up to all these lessons. That's why I brought it back up: the active and passive obedience of Christ. All these things. What His faithfulness has accomplished for God on our behalf is justice, and then from justice proceeds reconciliation, everlasting inheritance. Let's get this up. Anybody want to say anything? Was the old the last day Yes, let's get off. Anything else?